2: It's a brand new football season. Antonio Brown is on the Raiders. Le'Veon Bell is with the Jets. Odell Beckham is in Cleveland. The one thing that hasn't changed is where you can put your money down on all the games. MyBookie is the place to bet on football every weekend. Our Blue Wire podcasters are using mybookie.com/backslash/BlueWire to sign up this year. My bookie has better bonuses and more prop bets than any other sports book, period. This year, they're hosting the first online handicapping super contest. First place is guaranteed to win at least $100,000, and it only costs $100 to enter. All you got to do is pick five NFL games against the spread every week to climb the leaderboard and score your share of a huge cash prize pool. MyBookie has live, in-game betting on every NFL game. They've got the most rewarding player perks in the business, and for you fantasy guys out there, you can even bet the over-under on how many fantasy points a player will score each game. Visit MyBookie online today. That's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E. And don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE when creating your account to claim the bonus. Bet, win, get paid. What do you think about
1: the Laker team now?
0: Do you follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding.
1: That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct.
2: What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to Laker Film Room Podcast. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius with Sasha in the boot. Today, we're going to get to some more of your questions on the Patreon mailbags that that we have. Uh, We're in that time of year, uh, but you guys are really carrying us through, and we're very much appreciative of that. So let me, uh, without any further ado, let's get get right into it. First question comes from Scott Cohn. He asks, Darius, do you really expect them to run LeBron at point guard for a significant portion of the season, not just as a primary ball handler, but also guarding the opponent's point guard? Or will it be dropped like the plans to use him at center last season?
1: So I I guess you're starting me out early with a yes and no. Oh, <laughs> like nice. the first just, might be
2: play. a new record. It might be a new record for that.
1: So I guess I never expected LeBron James to guard opposing point guards. Mm-hmm. I don't think that was really ever even part of the reporting around this per se. And Vogel has taken the approach of, you know, LeBron's not going to do anything different than what LeBron's done his whole career. Sort of stuff, which basically means LeBron's going to play a lot of point guard on offense, Mm -hmm. right? And I think that, and I'm going to let you talk about this a little bit more, but I think the notion of in today's NBA, when so many wings handle the ball as much as they do, that point guard is sort of an antiquated concept to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. There are definitely like pure point guards. The the Lakers have one. His name is Rajon Rondo. But I feel like LeBron's going to be a primary offensive initiator. He'll do that from whatever position he's defending, I guess. So Mm -hmm. and that could be shooting guard. It could be, you know, small forward. It could be power forward. It could even be center depending on who the other team trots out there, right? So I'm not necessarily caught up on, is LeBron going to play a lot of point guard this year? I think that he's probably going to initiate 85 to 90% of the offensive sets when he's on the floor.
2: Uh, So I'm right there with you, and this is a boring answer, but I think it's a true one, is that LeBron's going to do what he's always going to do. I I believe Vogel in that because that's... (laughs) You know, that's been LeBron's role even last year when the whole concept of the team was, hey, we're going to have more ball handlers. We don't want LeBron to carry that burden the way that he has in years past. Well, that's kind of exactly how it worked out, right? Like LeBron that lasted a LeBron. month. Yeah, right. Exactly. And and so that wasn't something that, that really ended up coming to fruition. So I expect... LeBron will be the de facto point guard from a, he is the perimeter player that the offense revolves around. Um, I, I do not expect him to defend opposing point guards at all. I think it's going to be one of those Mario Chalmers, Norris Cole type situations where, you know, you've got those guys to take care of those responsibilities, even if they're not responsible for playing point guard, quote unquote, on the offensive end. So all of that said, like, I, you know, I think it's going to be a lot more of the same and I don't expect much. Much to change. So, all right. Next question going to be a coaching question coming from Jonathan Wheeler. Do you prefer Kuz to be operating on the ball side in the PNR, or in the pick and roll or from the weak side? And if you had to guess right now, who starts in our first playoff game and who finishes?
1: Oh, so two questions for the playoffs. Yeah, price two, of one. two part
2: question. Hey, I don't blame him.
1: <laughs> no, no, you know, get that money. That's right. So, I like Kuzma on the weak side. More so than the strong side. Why why is that? Because Kuzma isn't necessarily the same quality of shooter. He's better at attacking off of the dribble in space. Mm -hmm. And when you're in the strong side on the pick and roll, your primary goal is to have gravity. Mm -hmm. And I feel like Danny Green would be better suited being on the strong side. Interesting. Interesting. And have Kuzma on the weak side. I also, one of the reasons why I want Kuzma on the weak side too is because on ball reversals, he is a more likely option to be able to run secondary actions with the ball in his hand.
2: Now, that I definitely agree with. I I think that you can have both Danny Green and Kyle Kuzma on the weak side, and that would be the the premise of that, right, is that like Danny Green would be the weak side wing, and then Kuz could be the guy out of the corner. You can run a flare screen for Danny Green that sends him to the corner, and then Kuz cuts off of that, or he pops out to the wing. The strong side corner position in a pick and roll. So I I always like to refer to pick and roll plays as five man plays as opposed to two man plays, which is easy to think of pick and rolls in that type of sense. But as a five man play, the player in the strong side corner is usually not the fifth option, but is going to get the fewest number of shots out of that because helping one pass away onto the ball handler from that uh, from that corner is that's the easiest shot, right? It's a corner three with your feet set one pass away. You're generally not going to help from there. So that might be from a shooting perspective. That's that might be exactly where you put Kuzma, right? If you want him, if you don't trust his jumper, those are going to get him the easiest shots. It's also maybe an argument for a Danny green, right? Like you're never going to help off of Danny green. And then it, it, allows that skip pass. I want Danny Green on that on that skip pass, though, because of that gravity that Anthony Davis and JaVale McGee, to a lesser extent, are going to have. They're going to pull those weak side defenders, and Green is so devastating as as a catch-and-shoot guy, especially when he's, he's open. That becomes your pick-and-poison type scenario. So for me, Danny Green is solidified in that weak side wing spot whenever we were on pick-and-rolls because he has gravity in the spot – from where the defense is going to have to help most of the time.
1: So so, so w- can I say this too? And sorry mm-hmm. to cut you off, but I also really want there to be less three-man side pick and rolls, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like I want more pick and rolls where it's only two guys on a side.
2: Right. So so that's your two-man game, right? And you've got three on the weak side at that point. There are... We're going to see a lot of that with LeBron and AD because you have to – so first of all, you have to ice that and unless you can switch it and you've got to have really good defenders to be able to switch between LeBron and Anthony Davis, somebody who's not a horrible mismatch on one or the other. But I think exactly what you're talking about there. And then the spacing on the weak side is not as great, but that's how you really take advantage of those two stars, right? You've you've got to send help from a long way away in order to cover that. And with LeBron and AD, you have an advantage unless they, they send that third guy. LeBron's so great at throwing those skip passes with velocity. He can get over the top on those and throw them downward. So, LeBron throws skip passes faster than pretty much anybody who's ever played. In my opinion, he's the best skip passer that's ever played the game. And so, that distance, then you've got that three on two, right? Because then that weak side defender had to come over to help and then has a long way to recover on that. So, I really like that idea. I do think that that's, and that allows, you know, Danny Green and Kyle Kuzma and you can even have KCP or Avery Bradley, Alex Caruso, whomever that third guard is. It is important that most of those guys can shoot at least to, or at least be a threat. So, yeah. you know, like that you're not going to be doing that and then having Rondo in the weak side corner while you're so, doing two man game on the strong side, right?
1: So, who would be so let's say Quinn Cook, Kyle Kuzma and Danny Green are on the floor with LeBron James and Anthony Davis. And let's say that it's the exact scenario that you were just describing. Um, Two man pick and roll on like the quote unquote weak side of the floor, right? Cause it's, it's an empty side.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Where would you put those, those three players corner shoulder mm-hmm. sort of back towards the top of the key area? How would to, to, to optimize those guys' skill sets? who would you want in what spot? That's a great question. So I would put Quinn Cook,
2: I'm sorry, I would put Kuzma not at the top of the key, but you slide, It's there's uh, the spot between the top of the key and the wing is called the slot. Sure. And so you're going to put Cook in the slot. You're going to put, or I'm sorry, you're going to put Kuzma in the slot. And the reason being is because there's a, there's a double gap right there, right? If you've got a... Elbow type pick and roll on one side of the court for LeBron and Anthony Davis. If that ball gets swung over to Kuz, he's the best of the three at attacking the basket. And so you've given him by giving him a double gap and what a double gap is, is the space between the nearest defender and your guy. There's so much space between LeBron, who'd be the ball handler on that pick and roll, and where Kuz is, that if Kuz catches it, and if defenses respect his jumper, he can attack that closeout, and then the help defender that presumably is defending AD on that, has to come a long way to defend the rim off of that. You've got good action. Those double gaps are ideal for guys who can attack the basket. And of those three, Kyle Kuzma, Quinn Cook, and Danny Green, Kuz is the obvious guy you want attacking the rim, right? So he's in the slot. Then the wing maybe a step below the wing for the sake of you want even spacing between those three guys. I'd put Danny green right there, right for that, for that skip pass. It's going to depend on where the help is going to come from, but I want, I want in my swing, swing type scenario. So say the ball gets skipped to Coos. I want, if Coos doesn't like what he has, I want Coos to be able to swing it to Danny green, Danny green's, Going to be open some of the time on that. But if the rotation is good, he's going to get closed out on. Then that leaves Quinn Cook all alone in the corner for a wide open three. So that would be my construct on that. How about you?
1: No, that's exactly what I was going to say. So we're on the same page with that. Cool, cool. All right. So,
2: so we got a nice mix of uh, coaching questions, of you know, roster questions, and then some uh, some
1: silly or, or at least non-basketball questions. This one Wait, comes- wait, wait. Before we move on, do you want to answer the second part of that oh, question yeah, 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 about yeah. starters and finish let's do that thank you for reminding me
2: for me we'll get into this more if it comes to fruition i really want a guadala on the team and that he screams like finisher on the on this team but of the of the current roster you know starting in the playoffs man i i think it's to me it's KCP is the one like that point guard spot is the the question mark KCP would be my starter obviously not as a point guard but in that vein of being a Norris Cole or Mario Chalmers type right he can defend point guards which is what you'll need if LeBron is essentially running that so you got KCP Danny Green LeBron Anthony Davis and I mean we'll see who they sign but we'd probably start JaVale at, at that point and then finish sub out and and put Kuzma in there. And I think that that's your finishing lineup. How about you?
1: Yeah, I would say yes to the starters. I'm very interested in seeing how Caruso plays this season Mm -hmm. because I could actually see him finishing games. Yeah,
2: bro. I am not, (laughs) I'm not committed to the idea of KCP being that guy. And, and this is going to be something where like there are enough guys that are close enough, in talent where it should be a may the best man win type of situation. And and that's what I I, I hope Vogel does.
1: And KCP use, I don't, I, so I don't want to say you, you sung his praises on, on the last pod. I think that would be going a bit strong in putting words in your mouth, but you did sort of um, mention him as a guy who could potentially outperform his contract value. Right. Mm -hmm. And KCP, For as down as you and I have both been on on him, he still has some talent. Mm -hmm. And And if he plays to his talent level and plays to his strengths more often, he could totally fit well in a closing lineup. One of the reasons why I mentioned Caruso is because even though LeBron is going to initiate a bunch of offensive sets, there are going to be times where... And it'll be interesting to see how Vogel's offense um, and the sets and the play design and everything plays into this. But there are going to be times where you actually don't want LeBron to start on the ball in the backcourt. And when that's the case, I think it would be better to have a more natural ball handling guard on the floor.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. And and Caruso plays really well off of LeBron. They they both know like how offensive sets are supposed to work. So like Caruso and and maybe maybe this will just be something that as we have more veterans on the team, there will be more guys that do this. So this will be less of a special thing from Caruso, but Caruso understands how to make reads and then counters to that read in the first place. And LeBron does too, right? So they can play very well off of each other and make these quick split second decisions that like, I I think they're a really good fit together. You you don't have to twist my arm too hard to get on the Alex Caruso train. I would like to see Caruso prove it in games that matter first. And then once he starts doing that, then I'll be banging that drum just as well.
1: Okay, good. So good, good.
2: All right, so let's see what we got next. From Gonzalo Aguirre asks, how were you and Darius introduced to the Lakers? Cheers, and thanks for the content. I'll let you start on this, Darius. How how do you, as a guy who grew up in Central California and lived in Oakland for a long time now, how did you become a Laker fan?
1: So where I grew up is actually the most northern part of the state, I believe, where I still got all of the LA channels, Mm -hmm. right? And so... When I was growing up, Showtime was huge, and the Lakers were on KCAL all -hmm. the time, Mm -hmm. right? And I think it was Prime Ticket?
2: It was on, on TV before that, and I think Prime Ticket came around 87 or something like that, maybe- Maybe earlier, but I want to say 87. But before that, see, people don't realize, for, forgive my, my interruption, but like the whole idea of like being able to see every game and, you know, like every game being televised, having TV deals, that was something that Magic and Bird really like. People talk about, oh, they changed the NBA. That was a big part of it, right? Whereas TV, the TV rights, the having local TV contracts and things like that, they kind of ushered in that era. And during the 80s, it wasn't always like, wasn't always easy to see your team, especially if you weren't a Laker fan. We're lucky in that respect, but it was, sometimes it could be a little bit difficult. It'd be on tape delay. You remember tape delay games, yes. right? And so tape delay, God, I feel so ancient talking about this. You know how there'll be games against like Atlanta or somewhere like that that starts at four or four 30 Pacific time. In order to get better ratings, they would delay it and not start the game until 6 or 6 30, right? And so this would be this like for me as this sports obsessed kid, I'd have to completely avoid any like sports center. It would like ruin my
1: regular but, day. I'd have to But, do but that was the thing though, like that was such a slower news world. Right. Yeah, and and, totally and so even you describing, oh, I had to actively avoid this. Yeah, so. So you didn't turn it on to the one single channel (laughs) that covered sports all of the time, right? Like you literally avoided one channel, right? There wasn't even an ESPN 2 at that time. It was literally ESPN, like channel 14 or something. <laughs> so that, talk that's about right. a different were, world.
2: Remember when they introduced the ticker on, and I think it was on ESPN2 where they did this, where like the first time where the scores of the day from each of the respective sports would just kind of scroll across your, your timeline. Like, this is again a different world where you'd be like, Hey, you know, what's the score of this game? If you say it wasn't a Laker game, right? You'd have to put it on ESPN. This isn't until the 90s, right? And just be like, all right, I'm just going to wait until, and then go to commercial or something right before the score you wanted to see would pop up. And then you'd just have to, so you'd have to watch TV for like, you know, five, 10 minutes just to get this. So anyway, yeah, I'm I'm going back in time uh, into the archives as a Laker fan. but
1: Yeah, so I grew up watching the Lakers. Like my dad was a sports fan. Right, so my dad watched the NFL. He he mostly watched the NFL and the NBA. So I grew up watching football on Sundays and Mondays, and and basketball all the time on Mm -hmm. both like local tel telecasts, and then first nationally on like CBS, and then NBC got the rights. So yeah, like that's how I got introduced to to the Lakers, and I'm not going to give the exact year or whatever but the like one of the first years where I was old enough to start to to really sort of understand what I was watching the Lakers were like in the finals and winning the championship you really got a good sense of this is what the pinnacle of the, the game is and you don't understand it that way when when you're a kid but when the team is winning pretty much every time you watch them play. And then now when there's only literally one or two games on a week and the team that you get to watch every single day is still the same team that's playing, mm-hmm. Like that's how I got introduced.
2: Th- those dudes labels. were rock stars, man. Those Showtime teams were absolute rock stars. It, it was so fun to grow up with that. For, for me, I've told this before, so I'll tell the abbreviated version, but my dad worked in the TV truck that covered those showtime teams and uh his station on tv covered them for like a two-year stretch um maybe, maybe it was three years and so it was that and you know my mom would let me stay up and, and see his name in the credits at night and but on top of that like have you ever had like a, a cousin or somebody in your family that like when they're a little kid, they will watch the same show over and over and over again. Like I remember, I burned out like a, a VCR watching like the Muppet Show. Well, my my other thing was the Lakers. Like I have had a if you can't tell this by the everything about me, I I have had an obsession with this team as since a very little kid. So that just natural attraction to it, combined with my dad being involved in it, and this very you know ancillary type of way combined with it being one of the great teams of all time and arguably the most entertaining i had i stood no chance <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah i was going to be a laker fan so that's right all right next question let's go back to the roster here this comes from phil sizemore he asks the lakers seem to have a high number of question mark players specifically kuzma Caruso and Avery Bradley, even if all of them have under a 50% chance to reach their best selves this year, the likelihood that at least one of them exceeds expectations seems high. Can you talk a little about what it would mean for the team if each of those guys exceeded expectations? And how many of them do you think we need to make a decisive title push?
1: Oh, man, if all three exceed expectations, this this team will likely be in contention for a championship and and making a deep playoff run. Like those are three important players.
2: What I think he's asking is like, like how many of those guys do we need to hit? Right? Like, so when, if we've got three guys like that, I mean, I guess the midpoint would be one guy is going to be a best case scenario. One guy is going to be a middle case scenario. One guy is going to be a worst case scenario. Right. Or somewhere on that spectrum. Right. Like what would it mean? Let's break it down. One guy each. If Kuzma is close to his, best case scenario for this season. What does that mean for this team?
1: Oh, it's going to mean that that's going to make a real difference in wins and losses. I like I think more so than the other two guys maybe even combined. I agree with that. He is if you're rooting for any of these three guys to to exceed expectations, root for Kuzma mm-hmm. to actually do that. Imagine a 20 or 21 point per game And like eight rebound and four assist season from Kuzma. That'd be really exceeding expectations. But if he plays like that, he could like, that's like all-star level production. Bro, that's like,
2: if Kuzma is close to his best case scenario, we're, we're like right at the top of the title favorites. I know I'm probably a little more bearish on the Lakers than a lot of people are. Like people consider Lakers already at the top of that, you know, of, of the contenders, Kuzma coming close to his best case scenario like we're a title team at that point or we're close to it so yeah he, he's the one that and then as far as Caruso and Bradley it would have the same ramifications in slightly different ways right the best case scenario scenario with Caruso is he is that guy that we saw those last 15 games and all of a sudden Lakers have a if not starting caliber point guard, a starting caliber adjacent point guard who fits next to your best players and can defend. Yeah, like Bradley.
1: Fred yeah. Van Vliet.
2: Right. That's it. He's the guy I keep going back to is Van Vliet. Their games are a little bit different. Uh, and and Crusoe's a better athlete for sure, but like similar type of guy where like, hey, that guy's important, can be on the floor in the final five, right? Bradley is similar. Bradley. If Bradley could be our best point of attack defender, even better than Danny Green, and that would have ramifications as well. He's not a... His shooting is interesting. I, I watched some tape on him, and I wa- worked a little bit on a video. Maybe I'll release it down the line. But he's a like wide-open type shooter. He shot like 40.4% on wide-open threes, and then everything else. So wide-open threes are considered by NBA.com. Closest defender is six feet or more away from you. Anything... Anybody within six feet, that drops into the twenties for Avery Bradley. So think of like a Rondo type of shooter. He's more willing a more willing shooter than, than Rondo, but like Rondo will hit threes when he's open. That's kind of the guy that Bradley is. But if Bradley can do that and be a really good point of attack defender, then you've got guys at every level. You've got a, a guy on the perimeter in Bradley. You've got a guy on the wing in Danny Green. And then you got the best of them at all of and Anthony Davis down low. So now you've got a, a really solid defender at all three levels. So each guy would have significant ramifications on this team if there is that best-case scenario. But Kuz, he's the guy with the most talent. So he's the guy with the, the highest ceiling.
1: Yeah, when when Kuzma said, I think I could be the team's third star, right? And I'm sure he got some side eye from folks, <laughs> uh-huh. na- like nationally, for a comment like that. But his best case scenario is definitely approaching that, right? right. Where it's just like, oh, Kuzma shot the ball poorly last year from distance. He didn't rebound as consistently as any of us would would have liked he made strides defensively but still has some some strides to go if he shows improvement in all of those areas especially from distance as a shooter he can tack on you know a couple of points per game just by upping his three-point percentage from the low third thirties to back to where he was as a rookie Basically.
2: Yeah, that's absolutely the case. Let's uh, let's do one more, and then we'll uh, we'll go to break. Uh, this question comes from Yvonne. She she asks, uh, notwithstanding how I feel about losing the kids this year, who's going to defend guards now? Lonzo was picking them up full court, but I don't see that happening with the current roster. Green was an excellent defender last year, but LA doesn't have what the Raps had. Not trying to be a Debbie Downer, but I'm feeling a re- regression coming from the new signings. How about you? Let's let's talk about this specifically from that defensive point of view, Darius, of like, where do you stand on kind of where this team is defensively? We know they'll be built around LeBron and AD on the offensive end, but they did lose a lot of that defensive identity while picking up a new one in Anthony Davis. What are your thoughts on the team's defense overall?
1: I actually think that they can be a good defensive team. We talked about this a couple of podcasts ago, but I think their their ceiling is probably in the eight to twelve range, Mm -hmm. and they could easily live in like the fourteen to eighteen range, right? Mm -hmm. Which is basically like middle of the pack.
2: And and when you say that, you're talking about defensive rating, right?
1: I'm talking about defensive rating and ranking within the context of the league, right? right? You you know, yes, they lost Lonzo, who I think is an excellent defender, both on and off the ball. I think he could make strides still on the ball, but he just has just great instincts. That said, I like Avery Bradley at the point of attack. I still think that KCP can be a good defender on smaller guards. And I think in lineups where you might be slotting him next to, say, Danny Green and LeBron on on the perimeter, he would be guarding smaller guards, where I think his physical limitations in terms of size and, and sort of um, ballast matter less. I think that with a combination of Bradley and KCP, and then you add in Danny Green, I think... They can be okay guarding guards, which is what this question is asking. Where I think they could start to struggle is guarding small forwards. Mm -hmm. Because then you're asking Danny Green to defend up more, which he's capable of doing, but I prefer Mm -hmm. him guarding shooting guards. And then after Danny Green you're then asking Avery Bradley to do the same thing defend up or you're mm-hmm. or you're asking LeBron or Kyle Kuzma to guard real perimeter threats at the small forward position which I'd prefer to have someone else which is why Iguodala's name keeps coming up as like a real guy that the Lakers are really after right mm-hmm. so yeah. but in defending guards I think that trio of um Danny Green at shoe shooting guard, and KCP and Avery Bradley at point guard, and Alex Caruso, Caruso. Mm-hmm. right? That 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 they have something there.
2: Yeah, I, I I do too. I we talk about how a team fits together a lot more on the offensive end than we do on defense, but I I kind of see the template for what this team should be defensively. And it should be very much funneling toward your rim protection. So Lakers have two of the best shot blockers in the whole NBA, in Anthony Davis and in JaVale McGee. Their ability to – so what that allows you to do is that allows you to put more ball pressure and more ball denial on the perimeter with the idea of we're going to take away the three-point line. And – have you attack the hoop, and we've got these guys back here who are really good at making that very difficult on you. If you want to pull up from mid-range, great. That's what every defense in the NBA is looking to have you take, those pull-ups, those floaters and runners and whatnot. I I do have some concerns about our ability to close out on the three-point line, and it's not so much ability as it is tendencies. LeBron has a tendency to sink too deep into the paint and just not close out to his man uh, on on the perimeter. A lot of times, people teams will put their uh, they will put LeBron's man in the weak side corner, knowing that that's the best percentage shot for for most players in the NBA, and that LeBron's not going to close out there. Danny Green is a really really good team defender, but one of his tendencies is that he will overhelp in the paint, and so if he will help on penetration, he'll crash down from the weak side. And he's really good on closeouts, but he kind of plays this game where he's like, how much can I help in the paint and still get back to my man? And he miscalculates that at times where he'll help too much, can't get back to that shooter in time. So even though Danny Green's an exceptional defender, that is a weakness in his game that matches one of LeBron's weaknesses. AD is one of the best perimeter defending bigs in the game, so you don't have an issue there what you mentioned about the wing really stands out to me and this is even more of an argument that Kyle Kuzma is a wing which is I've been saying for ages now is the Lakers are small on the wing defensively and this was something that was true last year when we had Josh Hart playing a lot of three as well when Brandon Ingram was either out of the game or hurt a lot of those wing type of guys were just shoot over the top of relatively short defenders in KCP Josh Hart the roster is similar, similarly constructed this year getting a guy like Iguodala is so important in part because he's a better point of attack defender than Danny Green is. And Danny Green is a really elite team defender and help defender. So if you can put Iguodala at the point of attack, that pushes Danny Green to a more, I don't want to say a more natural role, but somewhere where he's at his absolute best while getting the absolute best out of a guy like Iguodala. And you also have size to help match that so that that's one of the things I like put Kuz on the wing and as a wing defender you can help alleviate some of those concerns but that's about where I'm at in terms of uh the the defense of this team And we're in a similar place like I think they're about a middle of a pack defense I think they have less talent than they did last year defensively you know what with, with having younger legs last year and whatnot but I think the
1: pieces fit a little bit better so I also think that they'll be hopefully smarter Right. Sure. Because they're trading and all that. Yeah. yeah, They're trading, you know, um, younger legs for more experienced legs. That's right.
2: That's right. Alright, so before we continue, uh, if shaving is a terrible experience for you, we got you covered at Blue Wire. Our podcast network is teaming up with Harry's to make sure our listeners are shaving comfortably. Go to harrys.com backslash bluewire to save $10 on a value trial set, which includes a five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. You get all that for just $3 shipped right to your door. Enough with the low quality razors from convenience stores. It's totally worth trying Harry's. Sign up today. Harry's is fixed shaving by combining a simple, clean design with quality and durable blades at a fair price. Harry's founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and over-designed. Harry's bought a world-class blade factory in Germany that's been making quality blades for over 95 years. Join the 10 million who have tried Harry's. Claim your trial offer by going to harrys.com backslash bluewire. All of Harry's blades come with a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. Go to harrys.com backslash bluewire to redeem your razor for $3. All right, so let's continue on with the mailbag. Thank you very much for all of your questions. We're not going to be able to get all of them today, but we will continue to incorporate these into a segment on the upcoming pods. All right, this one comes from, uh, from Sergio Palma. He asks, hey, Pete and Darius, always enjoy the content from both of you. What is your favorite chickism? And bonus question, who would win in a two-on-two basketball game between the two of you versus Harrison and Anthony? Oh my God. I'm a little insulted by that one. Who,
1: who would win a game of two-on-two be- with you and me versus Harrison and Anthony? Is that a real question? So, sometimes people jump in my Twitter mentions and they'll like ask me a question and I literally respond to 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 them with is this a real question because I actually <laughs> do not want to to waste brain cells on questions that aren't real, right? And so, I'm just going to assume that's not a real question.
2: That's a real question. Mm. And Sergio is a good guy. Is always So, nice.
1: you know, so I'm happy that Sergio's a good guy. Maybe he's being too good to Anthony and Harrison in this scenario and not as good to you and me. It's a little offensive. I'm not going to lie. It's a little offensive. Like
2: so, I, I know that's not so, what he was trying to do. No, like no, I no. Said, he's a good guy, but
1: yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> let's answer the first part first.
2: Yeah. What's your favorite chickism?
1: Oh, man. I... So there were so many. I used to love when he would say a bunny hop in the pea patch. Uh-huh. To describe- to right? travel. Mm-hmm. Yes, to describe a travel. I loved all of the things that he's just sort of invented, right? So Michael Cooper was one of my favorite players. And so I used to love like the Koopa Loop. Mm-hmm. Alley-oop to, to yes. Michael Cooper. Mm-hmm. And, and so those so those two are ones that stick out to me immediately, but- There's like so many, right? We could could go on forever with that. I I mean, you've
2: got – so some of the very like encoded in basketball language phrases, you've got slam dunk, air ball. Those are chickisms. Dribble drive, no look pass, give and go. These are all things that we continue to say. They're, they're like It's like Shakespeare brought, what, like 1,400 words into the English language. That's what Chick Hearn did for basketball. Yes, right?
1: they're part of the vernacular. They are, That's right. They, they are just vocabulary now.
2: Throws up a brick, calling a, a, an ugly shot a brick. That came from Chick. Finger roll, that came from Chick. One of my favorites is when a guy would pump fake and the guy would bite on it. Put them in the popcorn. Put them in the popcorn, the machine. popcorn machine. That's yes. right. Um, so that's probably the popcorn machine is probably my favorite. I'm not counting uh, the refrigerator. Putting the game in the refrigerator that has its own special place for me. Um, when the Lakers played like crap, you would say they couldn't beat the Sisters of Mercy, which is like a convent of nuns, right? Fancy pass that would go out of bounds. The the mustard off, off the hot, the hot dog, dog, right?
1: Yes. I remember he said like he couldn't throw a pee into the ocean. <laughs> couldn't throw a pee into the ocean if if you were cold, right? You were like
2: one for ten chick. That chick would talk crap, man. That's one of the things I loved about him. That I, I've only had one avatar on Twitter the entire time I've had a Twitter, and it's been of Chick peering into the refrigerator, right? Chick Hearn is hugely influential on me. My my grandparents all passed away when I was really young, and he was kind of a surrogate grandparent as this Laker-obsessed kid that I would always listen to. And I I always admired his ability to keep it real, right? And he was a dude that he, he had, like, infinite job security. So he would just talk crap. Like, if the Lakers were playing like crap, I could only imagine... Darius, could you imagine if Chick Hearn had been our announcer the last seven years? He would have lit these MFers up, I swear to God. But yeah, I, I miss him terribly. I, I'm so grateful for the influence that he's had on the game and his continued influence on me in this accidental career of, <laughs> of covering the Lakers. So uh, God bless Chick Hearn. Very grateful that that we had him. And so, all right, let's go to
1: the next so question. Wait, so you're not even going to yeah. answer the, the two-on-two part? Right now,
2: bro, we would friggin kill Anthony and Harrison. First off, Harrison's not even playing right. Harrison is a DNP with some sort of obscure injury like I'm not gonna Yeah, no, <laughs> Harrison would be hurt somehow. And we've all seen the video of Anthony's euro step, right? First off, he euro steps the wrong way. That's the thing that always gets me about it is who euro steps himself out of bounds. So he's on the left-hand side of the court, if you're standing at half court facing the basket, he, and on the baseline driving to the rack, he steps to his right first and then goes to his left and then goes, oh, crap, crap! I'm out of real estate, kind of flings it off of the backboard. Yeah, yeah, I, I was never in danger of having a professional career, and I don't think you were either, Darius, but we could at least handle our business. We were the kids that, like, that's what we did on during recess and during our lunch break, right, is go out to the courts. Yes. So, like, so... End of conversation. Sergio, you're a great guy. I know you did not mean to offend, and we're saying all of this kind of tongue and tongue cheek. in cheek. Yes, but but yes, yeah. No,
1: we we would, no, we're, we're not, not. We are not offended. Harrison and Anthony should be offended that we just ripped them right now. Yeah, yeah, they'll <laughs> they'll get over. In fact,
2: they will. In fact, though, that would would be such a domination that we would have to after the first game, like. You know how you'd like repick teams? Yes, if that's kinda, right. Like change
1: that? up, change up. All right, like we're going to reshuffle. We're going to reshuffle this.
2: So what is the what is the two-on-two combination of the four of us that you think makes the most sense?
1: Oh, it's you and me again, because I'm trying to win the same <laughs> time, right? Okay, what would be the most even matchup between the oh, four of the us? Oh, the most even matchup. Oh, man. I guess give me Harrison.
2: Wow. See, so now I'm insulted by that. I, I don't know what because you that's, that's you saying got, that's you saying that you're better than I am. No, no, Therefore, no. Therefore, you'd have no, to, you take Harrison on as a way of no, evening no, no. it out a little I, I'm bit. I'm
1: saying, I'm saying, like, I'm taking Harrison over Anthony, and then I'm saying you and I, we can be even. Okay. And I'm going to take Harrison over Anthony.
2: Oh, interesting. Interesting.
1: Right? Look, look, Harrison's got more height, you know. He's also the boss over there, right? So So you get some like,
2: oh, I forgot to close out to my boss. Yeah. Yes,
1: right? Uh Uh-huh. So so I'm thinking strategically about this. I'm taking into account a bunch of different factors. You're operating
2: on different levels of this than I am.
1: He has a better shoe game than Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. than Anthony, right? So Mm -hmm. there's a lot of stuff going on with this.
2: I, I think I think Harrison and I I think we we've got that father son chemistry. Oh sure um, sure
1: sure from so, all those hours of practice on the driveway. That's, play.
2: that's okay. right. That's right. So yeah, I I know his tendencies. He knows mine and and whatnot. Sure. All right, back to basketball. Will Zhao asks us, uh, does the depth of the Lakers bench concern you, barring injuries? If so, why? Can the Lakers get over a LeBron or AD injury during the regular season, which they weren't able to do last year? So let's, I mean, obviously, if they're out for a long, extended period of time, that's, you know, that's going to be devastating to this team. But say it's a two, three-week type of injury, um, do they have the, like, what does that team look like?
1: I mean... Look man, the Lakers are built around Davis and LeBron. Losing any of those guys for 3 weeks, that's going to be a, that's going that would be tough. Mm-hmm. You you know, that's where having a third guy who could really step up would really matter. It's weird. I guess they could probably be So, let me put this back on you. Do you think kuzma i think the swing guy here is kuzma so who would kuzma be a better replacement for is i guess what i'm asking Mm -hmm. right Uh. do you you think he could be he obviously does not replicate either of those guys right because he's not the defender or rebounder that davis is but he can get buckets Mm -hmm. right and he's not the offensive initiator that lebron is but he does sort of play that combo forward type position. I think it would really depend on Kuzma here, and I really don't have a good answer Yeah, to that. I think that they would struggle, though, although having a second superstar would help and would, I think, boost them a little bit better than what they showed last year without LeBron.
2: Yeah, that's, that's absolutely the case. I think they can survive an ad injury a little better than they can survive a lebron injury because lebron will be the straw that stirs the drink right the perimeter guy that will be how every play starts or is built around right maybe not every play but so many of them that he is the the primary guy right like if if lebron goes out davis will suffer because of that because then it's a who gets him the ball and how and how do we capitalize off of that that said, there's going to be, you know, if, if Vogel stays true to his notion of having one, o- one or the other on the court for 48 minutes, there will at least be some practice and some some ability to, you know, like have some experience to fall back on. Of, hey, this is how we play with the second unit, right? When AD is leading that and LeBron's on the bench. But, I mean, make no mistake. It would be, we need both guys to play in that 70 to 75 game type of you know, range in order for the Lakers. And AD is a guy where if you watch him on a regular basis, he goes back to the locker room with an unnamed injury, like once a week or once every other week. Most of the time he comes back, but we will be (laughs) biting our fingernails on a fairly regular basis this season.
1: He hits the ground a lot. Watching AD. He He hits the ground a lot. And it's like, oh, is, is his hand hurt? Like, did he bang knees? Is he holding his ankle? <laughs> There's going to be a lot of that
2: this That's year. Right. That's right. And and we will be white knuckling it every time he does.
1: So what about the depth part? Does the depth concern you?
2: I I actually like our depth. I actually think this team is, is like the weakest part of the team in terms of like what I would ideally want is like our third and maybe fourth best players. Right. But mostly our third best player. I think that if you could slot. A guy in there everybody else would be pushed into more natural roles but i think I, I actually thought they did a nice job of that like seven through 12 part of the roster especially considering the money they had to work with i thought they did a solid job i think they signed one too many guards and one too few wings but all in all i, I like the depth that we have
1: yeah they need another big man now too that cousins hurt
2: sure and and i think that that's incoming soon so yeah yeah we'll see do you, I, I don't remember if we talked about this do you have a preference for who they sign on this
1: I think I prefer Noah Mm -hmm. of the names that were mentioned. I think Gortat's done. I think Noah is probably a little bit more steady, but his injury history concerns. I think Dwight actually has more upside, but his injury history and just his, the locker room stuff and his sort of flaming out with team after team after team concerns me. Mm -hmm. I could actually get behind a Dwight Howard signing if, he bought in to really a third center type role.
2: This is the first stage of having Dwight on your team, man. Like the the whole like, well, if we can get Dwight to buy it, like, bro, like it's like eight times like it ain't Look, gonna happen, you know?
1: Yeah, I'm I'm I mean, you you know, I that's like saying like I could get into a Ferrari if when I scratch <laughs> that lotto cart. Really. Right. This is the thing, the and we've already gone too long on this particular question. I don't know, it's like they're choosing from the bottom of the barrel of these options. I like Noah best. I like his mm-hmm. passing, I like his defense, I like his competitiveness, I like his overall basketball IQ. Those are things I think good teams want more of.
2: Sure. And and there's a place for him like there's a place for him on the court in so like most spates was one of the options. I'm Come good on states. Yeah, and come playoff time, like you can't even want to be able to, if you right, if you want to stretch the floor, just put AD at the five, right? Like, this this whole AD doesn't want to play a five goes out the window, at least in playoffs, right? So, if you're in a playoff situation, there is a place for Noah, right? And he's a guy who's not going to be played off of the court because of his defense, and he has some offensive value with his passing ability. And just in general, I know where I'm supposed to be screen
1: setting, mm -hmm. like, he's just another little things guy, right? I like, and I got into this a little bit with like the Jared Dudley stuff and the piece that I wrote the other day, but guys who do the little things allow your best players to continue to focus on doing the big things. Mm -hmm. And that's how you win at a high level is the best players are, are allowed to focus on doing all of the big things that only the best players can really do, right? That's right. And getting a bunch of guys who can do all of those smaller things, the screen setting, the talking defensively, the making the extra pass, the all of it, right? Give me guys who are willing and open to doing that stuff. And it's why I like Jared Dudley. It's why I would like Joe Kim Noah. I mean, it's to me, it's not rocket science when it comes to who's going to be your third big man. Like I don't necessarily need the upside, I yeah. don't.
2: Yeah, no, he can give you 15 a night and 15 minutes. That is, uh, yes, and you and you'll be good to go. So yeah, if if he's somebody that's not out of the question, you know, Eric Pincus had you know said that there may be some issues with the Rambus there. It would be really great if they could put that to the side because this is not the time for like. Pet, or even anything between like LeBron and Noah, they had some history. Like you know, like let's try and win a title. We need dudes who can do their job out there. We we took a loss with Boogie going out so early. Um, in some ways, it's a blessing. Like if it was gonna happen, it's better than it happened now. And like let's get the best dude in here that fits what we do, and and that is Noah. So it would be great if they can put that to the side. So all right, my man, let's do uh let's do two more questions. Let's do one basketball one, and then. Another one, uh, another fun one to close it out. So which teams, uh, Alvin Nelson uh, asked asked this, and so did Mike. Which teams do you anticipate are going to give the Lakers fits? And which teams do you think the Lakers will give fits? Basically, who do you think, who are the teams that we match up well against?
1: Oh, man.
2: Uh, Let me jump in. You give this some thought because this is something I've given some thought to. I'm a little concerned with Utah. Utah is a team. So for one, the Lakers have the advantage of LeBron and AD are better than anybody that they have. I love Gobert. Donovan Mitchell's an up and coming star, but when you got the two best players on the court, you you've got an advantage for sure. But AD doesn't do great against like the Giants of the game. I've said this a few times. Uh, Your Goberts, Embiid, Jokic, um, and Denver is another team that I think we could have some issues with as as a result. And I think that come winning time, we're going to need AD in that five spot. So they're a team that I also think defensively, I don't want to say like Ingles can't guard LeBron in a, you know, like he'll lock him up. But Ingles is smart. Bogdanovich. They've got a lot of like really solid dudes. Like basically they're the opposite. Like they've got a bunch of, Mike Conley is on their team now too, right? They've got a bunch of guys who are like just really good. I think Ed Davis is there as well. He is. Like and so the Lakers are this really top-heavy team, and they're like solid all the way across. I think on a few of those matchups, right, they're gonna they're gonna win that on the third through fifth best players a lot more than other teams will. So they're they're a team I'm worried about, and I'm worried about Denver as well. The good thing about that is that neither team really has a take the game over type star. Mitchell isn't there yet, and Jokic can do that but it's from a big man position and AD can at least defend. I, I don't know. I, like, you know, Jokic is wonderful. I don't want to diminish him, but they don't have like a perimeter stud. That's your Kawhi Leonard. Type yeah. You of guy, need right? like Kevin Gary
1: Harris Green. or Jamal Murray to sort mm-hmm. of take another leap. Right. With right. them. So, so the, those
2: are my teams. And then in terms of the teams that the Lakers give fits to, I think we're going to be really good against Houston. Then, Gosh, I'm really intrigued by the Clippers matchup. I don't think that there's like, you know, I think they're very, very closely matched. I think we probably give Portland problems too. So those are the two teams I would think of would be Houston and Portland that that I think we match up really well against.
1: So a team that concerns me and I'm going to go out East instead is Philly.
2: Mm, With all that size?
1: All the size. You mentioned Davis's sort of, Maybe struggles against like bigger guys and a a closing lineup with Embiid and Horford potentially means that you either play Davis at the five and have him guard Embiid and then put, I guess, LeBron on Horford or Kuzma on Horford or you remove Kuzma from that equation and then you're closing games with JaVale. On Mm -hmm. the court. I also think that Ben Simmons, while he doesn't have the bulk that LeBron does, he has size, he has athleticism, he is a good defender. I think that defensively they can sort of give the Lakers problems. And I think that they have an ability to sort of punish inside offensively that may force the Lakers to play not their best lineup in order to match up. So Philly's an interesting team to me from from that standpoint. In terms of teams that I think the Lakers match up well well with, this is like a cop out answer, but I honestly think the Lakers are gonna give a ton of teams a ton of problems <laughs> mm-hmm. just because of LeBron and Davis. And those two are dynamic individually and they're also dynamic two man game players. Mm-hmm. I and, mean they're going to
2: bro like as as complicated as we can make basketball they're going to have the best player on the court like 90% of the time and they're going to have two of the best three players on the court 100% of the time provided that those two guys are healthy that that goes a really long way in a 5 on 5 sport
1: yeah so i hate to like sort of cop out with that right but uh, just just to sort of expand on on my point before is you can iso lebron and davis from multiple spots on on the court and they can reliably get you a basket or draw a foul and you can play two man game with either of them or together and generate good offense
3: Mm -hmm.
1: and it's just it's just really hard to do that with your two best players like think about even even golden state right, at their peak with Durant and Curry, they were not running a bunch of uh, Curry-Durant pick and rolls, Mm -hmm. right? Like, they were not putting those two guys in two-man game together and sort of forcing the defense to to read and react off of those two guys. Now they did something totally different and optimized their shooting and, and did a bunch of stuff which made them totally impossible to defend when flanked by, you know, Klay Thompson and and Draymond Green as as a passer and and everything else. Think of Kawhi and um Paul George this season or go back to last season or even this this upcoming season with Harden and Chris Paul last year and Harden and Russ this year. There's just not a lot of like tandems Mm -hmm. that are of players that are this good that you can diversify as both isolation players and two man game players and then pair them to play two man game. As well, and, and so the, like that's where I think the Lakers are going to have um, a big advantage just against a lot of teams.
2: No, so. I think that's I think that's very well said. Let's do one more. This question comes from Philip Petkovich. He asks, "Who are some of the people in the industry that you look look up to? It could be somebody related to the Lakers or the NBA in general, but whose work would you recommend that we follow more closely because it stands out quality wise?"
1: Like this is an obvious guy, but if like if you're not reading Zach Lowe, you should be. I think he is sort of the quintessential guy who blends X's and O's, analytics, and sort of narrative and insider information in a way that is compelling. He's got a he's just got a great eye for things as well. So similar to you with this Pete but just a guy who who watches games live or and then revisits things on tape and and just has an eye for little things that really do make a difference. I I really love reading Kevin Arnovitz as well. He's another ESPN guy. I I just think that he's super smart and insightful and looks at things from different angles that I think are very informative. How about you? That's a couple of names. If you say a couple more, I may think think of a couple more as well. Yeah, there
2: part of the part of what I don't like about this question is that I am guaranteed to leave out somebody that yeah. I will I will think about 20 minutes from now and go like, oh, I totally should have mentioned them. One guy on the on the Lakers front, Mike Trudell, is a guy that like I've I've always really admired his work. And from getting to know him, it's been like, oh, this guy's an awesome dude who's really focused on just kicking ass at his job. Um, and, and so I, I really look up to Trudell, and I always have. Zach Lowe was one of the, the names that you mentioned. For for features, she doesn't do entirely NBA, but I, I'm a really big uh, Mirren Fader fan. She writes oh, yes, for Bleacher, she's great. Bleacher Report. She's just this amazing, like... Features writer that she did a piece on Costas Antetokounmpo recently and and just like whenever she she did a piece on Brandon Ingram last year she's just super talented and not somebody with a ton of followers That's just like when you read her work you're like oh this is somebody that is entirely about the work And, and so that's Mirren is somebody I definitely recommend following even beyond just just basketball. Not basketball related, but uh, Joe Davis is somebody I really look up to, the The announcer for the Dodgers. I think he's just really fanta- fantastic and does what's a difficult job and makes it look very easy. And then last but certainly not least, like I, I, I would say this if you weren't here, but it is a thrill for me every week to record this podcast with you. Because you were somebody that I looked up to for a really, really, really long time. And I even, I have to find this. It's the most hysterical. I don't know if I've ever said this on the air, but I think I've told you about this. I, um, I, I wasn't coaching anymore. I hadn't started LFR up yet. And I was just like really missing basketball. And you had tweeted out, uh, it was either via Twitter or, or it was on Form Blue and Gold, just like, hey, we're looking for contributors for the site. I was working, gosh, what was I doing at the time? all I remember I was drunk when I sent the email (laughs) it was this long rambling incoherent you know missive and I I included these charts and I was like charting all of the Lakers plays this is when Powell was on the team I want to say this is gosh 2013 or so and I had uh you know, like charted, this is the play they ran on this play. It was like color coded and it was all like, I was really, I put a lot of time into it and I probably shouldn't have written the introductory email while drunk. And it probably shouldn't have been three paragraphs long in retrospect, but uh, you never replied. So, you know, I worked my way up and here I am. And, you know, Bigger than us all now, Pete, you're bigger than us all. I, I, I don't think of it that way, man, but I've always like, I've always really been like, somebody attracted to somebody who's just about producing good work and that's something that i pride myself on and it's easier to be like oh i have this many followers on twitter or whatever right but like i i always feel most fulfilled when i'm like oh i what i did just there was like i put a lot of work into something yeah and i'm really proud of i'm really proud of it right and you've been setting that standard for the last 10 years now so no thank i you for appreciate that. that thank you for hosting the show with me man It's it's really an honor
1: I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Obviously, I'm a big admirer of your work too, but you know Oh, you don't have to. You don't have. No, no, no. Reciprocate. Like yeah, yeah. when I will say 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 this straight straight up, the people who are listening to to this pod, they already know. Right? That's why they listen to to the pod. But for all of you who are out there listening, tell someone about the work that not only the work that we mentioned before from great people like Zach, or tune in and, and, and sort of see Trudell work things. And I agree with with you about Trudell as well. Just he brings like great insight to the Laker tel- telecast as well, mm-hmm. and always dropping nuggets. And there's a great follow on on Twitter as well. But but tell folks about. The people who you were reading, and tell them about the work of people like Pete, right? to to sort of learn more about the game. and and since we're giving shout shout outs, I would be remiss if I did not mention Kurt Helan, he founded Forum Blue and Gold. He gave me a shot to start to write at the site, and he continues to do great work at Nbc and and another name that I thought of just one more guy is Chris Herring. From five thirty, mm, yes, eight. yes, good call. Yes, right. he's
2: one of those guys. Twenty minutes from now, would have been like, oh yeah, Chris does great work.
1: Right, he's he, talk about a guy who was always finding an interesting angle, super smart, and and just always sort sort of pushing things forward in a way to make you think about the game a little bit differently and look for something. And isn't always like, I don't even want to say isn't always. He's never uppity about things things and is always looking for like a like something fun right which Mm -hmm. I feel like in the era of analytics and efficiency and everything that sort of is great in terms of analyzing the game he's he's all he looks at that stuff as well but is also looking at stuff like how many times did Joel Embiid fall down Right. Mm -hmm. And it's just sort (laughs) of right. And and it's and it's just like it's fun. It's it's like we watch basketball. We love basketball. We grew up playing or watching and it's supposed to be fun. And he brings some 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 of that to his writing as well, which I think is is needed. We need more of that. So I want to give Chris a shout out too. Absolutely. And and while
2: we're on it, a uh, quick shout out to Cole Zwicker, who is one of my favorite NBA draft follows. And I think he does wonderful work. Uh Coach Gibson Piper from Half Court Hoops. That was why we had him on is because like, you may have never heard of this dude, but he's amazing and he does great work. And I, you know, I want more, more people to know. I Honestly, we could probably do a whole podcast on that question alone, Um, but it was nice to shout out a few of the people who do great work and have influenced us or have just been people that we've enjoyed. So, But without further ado, thank you for all your questions. We're going to answer as many of the ones that we can in future pods, but you've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast, and we will catch you guys next
3: Me a chance to
1: think. It takes me a little while to get wound <laughs> I up. I know it does take you a while to think. Rebound to Blottie. Nice rebound. The Blotty. Oh, badging ahead and go to face. Goes under it for we family motivation ovation flipping in the crowd. I think that is a cosmetic call,
0: baby. Okay, kid, you're all right, in my book.
1: <laughs> Will you get these idiots out of here?